Happy weekend. It's Friday. Yeah. That feels good. <laughs> time for some rest and recuperation and also time to reflect. This is, of course, our time to discuss what it might look like to live a life of good peace as inspired by Tolkien's work, The Lord of the Rings, specifically checking out how the hobbits in the Shire did life and, and how that community inspires us to live our lives differently, hopefully bit by bit. So this month in particular, so we're in November and we have a special season right now of death, if I can say it very clearly. This is a time where as Catholics, we're remembering the holy souls, family members and friends who have passed and praying for them and really trying to keep them in mind. And even the world around us, the nature around us is experiencing its own death of leaves falling and the season changing. So that is fitting. And it can be, of course, a little uncomfortable to talk about this topic, but we're going to give it our best shot and incorporate some ways in which we experience death in our world, as well as uh, what we learned from observing Lord of the Rings. I could get us started with a, um, well, not necessarily a metaphor, but just some ideas around. Go yeah, okay. go for it. Some ideas around what death really is all about, if we could understand it properly, because it's a tough one to understand. But for sure, to remember our death is a thing we often don't like to do, but it is a reality of our humanity. And so I found it helpful. I was looking at a resource. It was in the Hallow app, actually. And not a sponsor yet. <laughs> not a sponsor yet. You're right. We're open to it, Hallow. We're open to something. I don't know what Call we're me. open to. Yeah. So Mother Olga, I've never heard of her, but she had this beautiful meditation about death. And one of her main ideas was that we have four birthdays in life. And I already talked to you about this, Ross. Can you remember what the four birthdays are? I think I do remember them. Yeah. Okay. Your first birthday is your conception. Yes. It's the moment you exist. Yes. You're when your soul is is You are an, an ensouled person. Uh-huh. Yeah. The second the one? The second one is the day you're born. Your actual, what we would consider your actual birthday. Yeah, when you're born into the world. Uh -huh. Yeah, the, the third one would then be your baptism. That's right. You are mm -hmm. born into the family of the children of God. Yep. The communion of faith. Of, uh, yeah, yeah faith. faith. And then the last one would be your entrance into the hereafter your entrance into heaven, yeah. your heavenly birthday. Yes, when your soul enters heaven, and so a heavenly birthday. And I really appreciated this perspective, thought it was refreshing. And usually when we think of death, it is only depressing, it is only difficult. But this was a very new way to look at it. And I thought, what a, what a beautiful way to understand that process of death as a journey not just like an end of the road, but it's like a journey to the next, we would hope heaven, right? And so 
to prepare for a heavenly birthday is something I'm certainly starting to reflect on and think about how I could incorporate that into my life, but also as, as I witness the lives of others. And so, yeah, that is a framework we will probably call back to. And as far as it relates to Lord of the Rings, I find that it's curious that Bilbo celebrates his birthday, Bilbo Baggins, right before. His 111st birthday. His 111st birthday, right before he takes a journey. A uh, journey to... He goes to Rivendell. He goes to live with the elves. Yeah. But he's kind of um, secretive about it, at least in some ways. And and yet that celebration was huge. Uh, and he he does say... I need a holiday. In fact, I think I need a permanent holiday. Mm. So he's aware he's not coming back. So this is essentially a, a that fourth birthday party for him. Yeah. It's it's he's at peace with with going and being gone. Yeah. We don't usually have a whole lot of peace around somebody being gone or somebody leaving. Right. And by leaving I mean dying. And I think that's because we struggle to believe, even those of us who would call ourselves faithful believers, we struggle to believe in those moments. Mm -hmm. It is hard to accept that there is anything beyond the veil of mm -hmm. physical understanding. Mm -hmm. It is even harder to accept that when in our earthly lives, we have placed so much stock in our comfort, in our sort of technocratic idealized life where we have just managed everything to a T in mm -hmm. our modern world. What it has allowed us to do is kind of push death to the, to the outskirts. Then I had to look at it the way we have in some ways atomized. We've atomized the family and the community so that the dying are no longer around us. Mm -hmm. They're in their, you know, a, a different space. And while it is painful to have family members who are experiencing kind of their end of life near us, it does help us to en encounter kind of a transcendent moment Yeah. before it is our time to experience that transcendent moment. Right. And so then it's not such a foreign idea. And that's the thing that is kind of passed down if you can only experience that. And I don't think many of us get to experience that. I think we naturally shelter ourselves from pain. Yeah. And we naturally shelter our families from painful moments when we can. So I don't necessarily, I'm not casting blame. I'm saying it's a natural outgrowth of our ability to do that. Mm -hmm. now. We now have the ability to do that. Whereas we didn't before mm -hmm. when probably when family units were living oftentimes in multi-generation households, I feel so lucky to have lived in a, multi-generational household growing up right? and living with my grandparents for a number of years and, and seeing some of those end of life struggles mm -hmm. was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I know it was difficult for everybody that I lived with, but I'm so thankful to have experienced that, to have seen kind of the, the purgation of yeah many of the people that lived under that roof mm -hmm. in hindsight was a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to offer 
what I know about my family's experience with death is stories of beauty in those last moments with family members at their bedside in the hospital or wherever it would be that I was not present. But to hear the stories of that last parting moment, it's beautiful. And I'm thankful that I was let in on that story. And I think largely we do outsource a lot of the walking alongside our family members who are suffering toward the end of life, probably largely because we don't have the same resources of community and family we used to. We don't have as many siblings. We don't have as many, you know, family members. So that's not, I'm not making a judgment of hospice or, you know, the different resources we have, but it is a lot of times we have funeral homes, you know, we have places outside of our home that help us navigate that end of life and and death, but still to reflect on how to to be with people uh, at the end of life. It is one of the uh, corporal works of mercy, uh, burying the dead, and so also being with someone at the end of their life. And because I'm on that topic, I'll bring up the recent realization that there is a profession of doulas who support people and families at the end of life. And I was only familiar with doulas that support families at the beginning of life. At the beginning of a new life where a child is being born, where they're in the hospital with you, coaching you through, walking you through, asking your preferences. Well that also exists for people at the end of life. And I think that's that's beautiful. And it's something that really speaks to the dignity of the human, that we would have preferences, that we would have choices about how do we prepare for our heavenly birthday? What are we going to wear? How's our hair going to look? What's the atmosphere? Who's around us? What music is playing? This is the same type of stuff that a birth doula is going to talk with new parents about. Hey, what do you want the atmosphere to be like? How many people do you want to be around? Are there boundaries you want to set? Do you do you have music you want to play? Do you have strategies you want to use when such and such might happen? It's the same idea. So that dignity of this process, but also the, I'll just muse a bit more about the crisis of both of those birthdays, yeah. the crisis of bringing a child into the world and also the crisis of leaving the world. It is, um, you know, something that is just totally beyond ourselves. There's a lot out of our control. And yet it happens so naturally all the time. I wanted to hear your thoughts on, I think there's a specific example in the Lord of the Rings of walking alongside someone at the end of their life. It's quite brief, but it is with Aragorn and Boromir. Did you want to bring that story to life for us yeah sure so to kind of recap the scene boromir is a prince of gondor in that he is the son of the steward he's important he's also this mighty renowned warrior who believes that the ring should have been his all along or Mm. at least mused about it yeah and sees it as he, as he says, a gift, it is a gift that 
we should be able to use the ring against Sauron. Mm -hmm. At the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, he tries to take the ring from Frodo. And he's foiled, and he immediately realizes his grave error, his sin in this mm -hmm. moment. And he says, Frodo, I'm sorry, come back. And, but Frodo's gone. It's almost like the vanishing of Frodo in that moment of the commission of this grave sin is sort of like the idea of mortal sin, mm. where Frodo would not have left Boromir. Boromir left Frodo. Mm. When we commit mortal sin, it is a sin that does not drive God away from us. It is that we drive or you ourselves. know we drive ourselves away from from God. We cut ourselves off. Mm, okay. And so we we talked about in in the very first episode of this show this this idea that the roles of of Jesus are fulfilled across multiple characters. And here we find Boromir all of a sudden isolated as a result of his sin. Mm -hmm. Boromir then fights to defend the other two hobbits, Merry and Pippin, who are being dragged in the process of being dragged off by the orcs, by the goblins. And he, he fights a bunch of them to their death and defends these young hobbits who are innocents and do not deserve the fate that is going to befall them. And the fate that is going to befall them is going to happen to them because of what Boromir has done. Mm, yeah. Boromir is kind of fragmented the fellowship in this moment of vulnerability where the orcs fall upon them. I guess that they're Urukai. The Urukai fall upon them and they are weakened because they're fragmented because of Boromir's sin. So Boromir's kind of caused this moment mm -hmm. and he redeems himself by fighting and dying to defend the other hobbits, mm -hmm. the cousins of Frodo, Merry and Pippin. And in his dying moments, he's filled full of arrows. He's given himself to the task. He has fatal wounds and he's lying there and he's finally found by Aragorn. Aragorn comes across him and, and holds his hand and asks him what happened. And, and, and Boromir says, I failed. I tried to take the ring. I'm sorry. And Aragorn says, you did not fail. Mm -hmm. You are victorious. And so the, the moment Aragorn could have had is, I told you so, because he was the original one who told him, you can't wear this ring. You shouldn't wear the ring. Nobody should wear the ring. Mm -hmm. This is Aragorn's moment to tell him, I told you so, to prove that Boromir was the bad guy all along in the arc of this story. But that's not what happens. That Aragorn, the king, he's the king of Gondor in waiting. He's Boromir's king in waiting. Yeah. Aragorn comes in, essentially forgives the sin. This is a confession. This mm. is the sacrament of reconciliation. He is confessing to his king. He's confessing to the king of kings. And so here, Aragorn is, is in a sense, standing in for Jesus as the forgiver of sins and, and saying, no, you are victorious. By Boromir's action and confession, of this by by owning it mm -hmm. and then dealing with the consequences of it he has redeemed himself and so they bury they then bury boromir in peace they send him in a boat over the falls of Ralros in a boat full of the weapons of his of the enemies that he vanquished mm -hmm. so this this end of life care is a moment between two men who 
finally in the last moment see each other as equals. Mm -hmm. Boromir finally accepts Aragorn as, as my king. At mm -hmm. the very end, he accepts him. It's also a story of a, of a sinner confessing to Jesus on his deathbed. And with that, let's remember the same payment is given as someone who has lived yeah, an entire laborers. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So their entire life on on God's path. So serving God. And then here at the end, um, someone who is off track and redeeming himself with a confession is going to get the same reward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's powerful. And it's a mercy Aragorn didn't have to give. He would have been within his rights to disown and disgrace Boromir in mm -hmm. his last moments. Mm -hmm. And he gives him this honor and he kisses him on the forehead. Mm -hmm. And Tolkien gets this piece about affection that I think we lack in our modern context that we're kind of uncomfortable with in our modern context. Yeah. But that it's this thing that kind of trips our radar every time we hear the, the gospel, the gospel stories of the last supper, especially in the gospel of John, when, when the beloved disciple, who is John <laughs> reclines at, at last at the last supper. And where does he recline? He reclines into the chest of Jesus. He mm -hmm. reclines backwards into his, his rabbi, his teacher, his master's um, chest. He just mm -hmm. leans on him mm -hmm. in an, in an affectionate pose. That is um, a level of affection that is so lost on us today. Oh yeah. Great point. And so that is echoed here in Aragorn kissing Boromir's forehead. It is it is a symbol of his willingness to admit Boromir into the halls of greatness and to not cast his name out. And so Boromir dies in peace. Mm -hmm. That is the hope that we have as Christians, is that we can die in peace because we know that our our savior is merciful. Yeah. And it is a mercy we don't deserve. It is a mercy we have to stoop to ask for. We do well to live by Boromir's example of observing our own weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it's perfected because we know that Jesus then catches us. That he yeah. comes in and says, "No, you have been victorious." Well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? I love that. Well, and you also brought up before we started recording that Aragorn is also in the role of king when it comes to bringing out the ghost yeah. from the mountains. Do you want to talk through how that relates to our understanding of souls um, sure. who have yeah, passed from this world? I guess again, to set the scene. Please. The the forces of, of Rohan and the, the free peoples of Middle-earth are desperate. They face the armies of Mordor, and there is very little hope that they will succeed. And so Aragorn uh, takes an option that is presented to him that is everybody else thinks is foolish. It has been hundreds of years. It has been centuries since anybody has traversed the paths of the dead. The reason is because... You don't come back from the paths of the dead. That's why it's called that. <laughs> but it's called that because on the other end of this path lie this, this pack of ghosts, the men of the White Mountains, who way back, centuries before all of these events in the Lord of the Rings, they betrayed the King of Gondor. They promised to fight for him. And when the time came to, to 
draw their swords. They, you know, kind of went back on their mm-hmm. promise and they refused to come. So the king cursed them to essentially dwell within this world until their promise is fulfilled. And so these guys dwell as ghosts in in the White Mountains, in the Paths of the Dead. Aragorn ventures into the Paths of the Dead because he knows his, his forces are desperate. His city won't survive. So he traverses the Paths of the Dead and he meets up with the ghosts. And they are ready to strike him and Legolas and Gimli uh, down. Aragorn is the only one that is uh, capable of commanding the ghosts mm. to action, to fulfill their oaths, to come fight at the Battle of Pelennor Fields outside of Minas Tirith. It is in some ways analogous. It should remind us of, of something that Catholics call the harrowing of hell. Okay. This idea that Jesus' death opens heaven for all of us, but it also opens heaven for those who have come before. Mm. Jesus and something something that um, that is called the bosom of Abraham where the pious dead essentially their souls have to go somewhere and and that's where they go it's it's not it's not well defined it's a pious tradition it's not defined in scripture and so it's it's it only has a basis in what we call pious tradition but it's kind of a, a logical deduction of uh, Abraham doesn't deserve to go to hell mm-hmm. because of his role in God's plan. And so where do, where do these pious souls go? We call it the bosom of Abraham and being a, not a part of heaven and the afterlife, it is a part of hell. And so the harrowing of hell is this idea that, that Jesus, after his passion and death descends into hell. And that's something that we say in the, in the creed, right? Is that and he descended into hell. He descends into hell in, in essence to gather those who are faithful and to bring them to heaven. And so this this harrowing of hell is replicated in the Lord of the Rings, where Aragorn, who is the king of Gondor, mm-hmm. he's the only one who is capable of commanding these ghosts, the ghosts who have been banished from not only life but from death. When they die, they don't die; they become wraiths. They become very like the nine Nazgul, who essentially the nine Nazgul are these writers for the Dark Lord Sauron, who they just do his bidding. They are sl- they are slaves, slaves yeah. and they faded until they were nothing. They have no form, and so they wear these these robes so that they have some form. Otherwise, they have zero form. They have no corporeal essence. They have no hope. Their only outcome is to continue to wither into nothing. That's what a wraith is. These ghosts in the mountain have an oath to fulfill. And so they they live kind of in exile. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess live is in quotes. They are ghosts in exile with mm-hmm. some degree of hope, but no real hope because there hasn't been a king of Gondor for a long, long time. Yeah. But all of a sudden, the heir of Gondor shows up and is able to command the, these ghosts to come out into the Battle of Pelennor Fields. And sure enough, they fight for the king. They fulfill their oath. And at the very end of the battle, the leader of the ghosts, the king of the ghosts says, you know, do you release us? And Aragorn releases them. He doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to hold their oaths fulfilled, but he does. Yeah. And they, whoom, they vanish. 
and they're able to go to their rest. They're able to go to their, you know, their kind of eternal reward. The word rest came to, came out when you said that. Yeah. That strikes me. Yeah. That is what we're meant to do. And souls who are not fully united in, you know, in God's glory in heaven are not able to rest. Yeah, we are restless until we rest in you. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So anyway, that stands out to me. Yeah. But yeah, the the comparison is so helpful of what's happened there. And I think that's, from Tolkien's brain, just brilliant. Yeah, again, he understood truth. He understood what is mm-hmm. and, and the importance. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And I mentioned this earlier to you, Stace, as we were starting this, that Frodo's blade is called Sting. And I think there is some connection there between the the word Sting in in 1 Corinthians and also the word Sting used as his blade. Is this this idea of of ultimately death is is reduced to a pinprick. Mm-hmm. And even that is just a pinprick. Mm-hmm. But so to us, our hope as Christians is that death is a sting. And mm-hmm. even the sting has been reduced to nothing. And so in this month, we we kind of carry our dead with us. And, and we, um, we remember yeah. them. This is a special time of remembering them and praying with them, praying for them. Yeah, and I want to add to this before we go. So going back to the life in the Shire, there's not a whole lot of death that is demonstrated or witnessed in the story of Lord of the Rings with the, in the context of the Shire. The, the one thing we do know is Frodo has to say goodbye ultimately kind of going off because he has more healing to do. Um, and there's, there's this goodbye moment, which, which mimics what we have to do with our loved ones and the joy, but the sorrow at the same time. You had brought up that the way hobbits talk about their dead, it's almost as though they have taken their dead with them as though they were living is what you said Mm -hmm. earlier to me. So kind of inseparable from their ancestry. Do you want to talk any more about that before we go? I guess just briefly this idea that they keep bringing up their ancestors, especially the old Took, they bring up fondly as somebody who was so instrumental to their existence that even when they leave the Shire, he's not gone from them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we bring our dead with us this month. Mm Mm-hmm. Not just this month, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, in a special way. Yeah, we, we bring them with us in a special way this month and we we think of them, we pray for them. You know, I, I often invoke uh those that have gone before us to to pray for me. Sure. Because they are with us. Yeah. Behind the veil. I see that as similar to our relationship to, of course, family members, uh and the saints we know are saints, and the saints that don't have a feast day, but they are totally saints who are not known. And part of the generations of peace we've discussed in the past was to inspire 
new generations to establish their peace and to establish connections of dignity and worth and and meaning long term. Back to your idea of of saints without a feast day. Okay. We have almost no way of knowing on this side of things whether or not someone is in heaven. Right. We would hope that somebody is that has that has gone before us. And that's all we're left with is hope. Mm-hmm. Faith, hope and love are the three theological virtues. You mentioned the corporal works of mercy, yeah. right? To kind of these like physical pieces of our faith, but the theological virtues are faith, hope and love. And they're the theological virtues because they make no sense. <laughs> they they don't exist without some kind of intervention. Without some kind of or or reliance on something that is transcendental. Okay. Yeah. We have no reason to hope. <laughs> except that Jesus has told us to hope. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it hope. If you know, then it's not hope. Right. And so I guess we'll we'll leave with faith, hope, and love. Yes. And just a reminder, you've got more birthdays. If you haven't already celebrated, I guess probably many people have celebrated the first three, but there is... Yeah, I've just got one left. <laughs> There is a heavenly birthday for all of us in store if we accept that, which can be something to dream up, something to dream about, and support other people in dreaming about. All right. Absolutely. Let's cut it there. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.